This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello, and welcome to Critical Point, a podcast brought to you by Milliman. I'm Robert Eden, and I'll be your host today. On March 31st, President Biden proposed increasing federal support for home-based long-term care as part of his American Jobs Plan. For long-term care insurance carriers, or LTCI carriers, there are benefits and also some challenges to offering aging-in-place services to policyholders. Joining us today to discuss this important issue is Sharhu, CEO of Helper Bees, and Helper Bees is a healthcare insure tech company that offers care concierge services for LTCI carriers and health plans. Shar, how are you doing? Great. I'm happy to be here, Robert. Good. Shar and the Helper Bees have recently begun collaborating with Milliman's LARA, the Long-Term Care Advanced Risk Analytics, on addressing some of these challenges. And uh, leading that effort with me is Milliman's Missy Gordon from Minneapolis. Missy, hi. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks, Robert. Good. Good. Why don't we start at the beginning? You know, what what is the state of the long-term care market? You know, Joe Joe Biden has proposed this large infrastructure plan. This obviously has a big impact on uh, some of what we're doing uh, in the long-term care industry. But Missy, uh, I was thinking, could you tee us up and, and tell us kind of what, what's happening in the long-term care insurance market to begin with? Yeah, Robert. Um, yeah, so the long-term care market... Um, it's really been faced with a lot of uh, challenges as an industry. Um, we've seen, you know, many companies needing significant reserve uh, strengthening and needing large rate increases. And so it's kind of resulting in a lot of companies that are leaving that standalone market. Maybe a, a flip side to that, uh, you know, we, we do see um, innovation in the hybrid market. And so that hybrid market is something that has been growing. We've seen a number of, of products um, that are life and annuity and combined with long-term care that are um, kind of hedging some of those risks and uh, adding value to the policyholders and, and company. So while that's growing, we, we still have as a whole, though, the long-term care industry is having these challenges. So, you know, long-term care coverage is, you know, really important as, again, the population continues to age. And so um, what we've seen is that while the industry has been faced a lot of rate increases, that policyholders are continuing to keep their coverage because they really value this, this product and they have this need. And so they know that that's something they, they, you know, as a value to them. So really companies are looking for ways in which they can, you know, manage what's really a risky product, but an important product, how they can manage these blocks of business going forward so that they can continue to pay these really valuable benefits to their policyholders as they age and are in need of care. I think it really brings us some opportunities for innovation. We've seen these innovative initiatives that um, are allowing companies to target individuals who are in need of long-term care services so that they can kind of step in and, and help individuals that need it the most with the services that are going to be most effective for them. You know, if they can intervene and help individuals stay in their homes longer that's rather than going to facility, that's lower cost to the payers. 
And it's also then a beneficial to the policyholders. In general, people don't want to go into a nursing home. So if they can, um, if, if there's services that help them stay at home longer, that's a, a, a win-win for them as well. Yeah, that Misty, that really resonates with me. I, I think I've seen some of the same trends that you have. Um, you know, we have Shar here, who's the, the the founder and CEO of a, a caregiving service, the Helper Bees. Uh, Shar, is any of this resonating with you? I know you're not sort of a, a long-term care insurance industry veteran, uh, but but tell us how you kind of you kind of see the long-term care insurance marketplaces. Is what Missy's uh, saying? Uh, you know, does that resonate with you from from a different angle? Yeah, it does. Uh, definitely not a long-term veteran. I remember, I won't bore you with the story, but we asked the world's largest carrier what a TPA meant uh, four years ago when we started pitching some of our software solutions. Uh, fast forward, it only took me four years to earn their business uh, after that uh, fantastic start. Um, so, But we've had a crash course in long-term care insurance. We know long-term care support services really well from a, both a data and a tech delivery uh, angle and everything Missy says, I just, I want to underline, um, even though we've only been in the industry three to four years, I don't think a collaboration like ours uh, would exist even two and a half years ago. I think a lot of carriers now are thinking about innovation specifically though, innovation used to be just around digital tools for us, but now specifically around delivery of care, everything Missy's talking about of, hey, how do we go and engage the policyholder in a way that's not a rate increase because they're not giving up their policies? And we have this massive problem that we know exists. Can we go and intervene? Can we provide the policyholder with something, just anything of value? Because we know if we don't, we're just going to get hammered. And again, I think this is a very recent shift. Uh, and it presents interesting opportunities that Missy had talked about, both from a new product perspective. Again, as us from a tech-enabled services, Robert, you mentioned from caregiving to nursing assistance to um geriatric care management, which is our care concierge program. So it's a very fun time as an innovator, uh, I think. And I think this, our collaboration and y'all's data model is coming at exactly the right time when the industry needs it. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to hear kind of our observations are sort of echoed in in throughout the industry. Um, maybe just if you could if you could riff for a couple of minutes, you you may have observed that we're sort of uh, resurfacing. Hopefully, after the the worst part of a global pandemic, how has that affected your business model? How does that relate to, you know, where where I see this trend in the long term care spaces? Uh, encouraging and, and assisting people to help them age healthily in place. You know, how has the pandemic factored into that at all? Tell me what your lessons learned have been over the last 13 months. Quite a bit. So we have to launch our care concierge program, which is what, what we're collaborating with you uh, and Missy on when it comes to uh, pre-claimants. Uh, we launched our on-claims population, uh, I think, February of last year, um, after about seven to eight months of of, of deliberation and planning, uh, then we get hit with the pandemic. Luckily, the entire time we were going always going to be virtual care management services. And so what we got to do is test out in an environment, test out virtual care management in an environment that everything was virtual. And so I think that's led to quite a bit of success and an adoption from the industry in general around thinking about new tools and new ways to engage individuals. So if I, if I can think of anything in the long-term care insurance world that gives me quite a bit of confidence and successful approach of any sort of new innovation is adoption rate by claimants who even even me who, who we deal with claimants all over the time from a frontline perspective 
would have thought virtual technologies would have been uh, poorly received. And I use this anecdote. When we were talking about our virtual nursing assessments, I thought we might get 50, 60% adoption rate. Uh, I would not have been surprised if we got 40% adoption rate just because everyone thinks you know video conferencing is, is not for our demographic. Again, this is claimant. So on average age of 83, 84 years old, we have uh, on average 93% adoption rate when it comes to video assessments and, and video nursing. So that tells me, wow, the world is wide open from interventions. People are clamoring for new things. We have typecast individuals from claimants into a particular role. But imagine now our whole toolbox of innovation is available to us. Um, and so I think that's been interesting to see from a claimant perspective. And then a fairly quick shift from carriers to be like, all right, what more do we have out there? How can we lean into this, um, this sort of innovation pipeline? Uh, let's see if it happens after the pandemic. One, you know, me on the vendor side is always worried that we're going to just sort of slam back into the old ways, but I'm very optimistic that that won't happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point. It's very positive, um, you know, what what you've shared with us and and the experience you've had in the last, you know, nine or, or twelve months. Um, you know, I think I think back to kind of the horrible headlines, which is the the fact that so many of the people that have died from COVID nineteen have you know died in nursing homes and other kind of care facilities. These are typically the elderly, probably the more frail folks with other comorbidities. And unfortunately, that is a, a population. You know, that is a, a population that usually needs long term care. These are the policyholders that we're trying to ultimately serve. I'm really happy, Shar, to hear that. You know, some of your services have really picked up and engaged. Engagement. Um, a number of Milliman actuaries assisted the Society of Actuaries trying to look at, at COVID-19 experience. Um, so that, that study is out there on the Society of Actuaries website. But that kind of leads me to think, you know, actually looking at COVID-19 experience is very difficult. It's, it's emerging, you know, the, the data isn't quite there yet. And it, it reminds me how difficult it is to collect data on long-term care just in general. Uh, even before coronavirus, there's very little data available. You know, one of the things that, that Missy and I are working on with our long-term care advanced risk analytics, our LARA project, is to try to understand the data a little better for enforced policyholders to help companies make decisions a little better. And, you know, Shar, as you know, help us kind of collaborate with you. So, Missy, I'm, I'm kind of curious if you can give us a, a little bit more depth on, you know, how, how have data and, and predictive analytics really had an impact uh, on the market. I know, I know you're kind of deep in the predictive analytics, uh, so I'm hoping you can share a little more with me on that. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, on the predictive analytics side, um, we've been analyzing um, long-term care experience and applying predictive analytic techniques to analyze that long-term care experience to develop projection assumptions for probably seven years now. Um, we work with it with companies on their experience studies. We also work with applying predictive analytics and our long-term care industry data set that we use to develop our long-term care guidelines. So we've had a lot of experience in terms of how we can apply these kind of cutting edge predictive analytic techniques to analyze that experience. Um, and so that so far has been used by companies in terms of being able to refine and improve their financial projections, getting more accuracy, more understanding relative to trends and patterns and interactions in this very complex product. Um, and being able to remove some uh, or understand whether there's embedded margin in their long-term care projection assumptions. Now, using all that experience, now we're using those techniques, but now we're supplementing with additional data 
um, we're able to better understand the current situation of policyholders. So typically for long-term care insurers, you know, you, you learn something about the policyholder when you issue a, a, a policy when they're in their 50s, and then you don't hear anything from them um, until they go on claim decades later. So having this additional information and understanding the current situation allows us to better identify who is at risk of needing long-term care. So that way companies can then identify those who may need services the most and align those services so that they're most effective um, with those who need them. And again, hoping with those earlier interventions can avoid or prevent or delay a long-term care claim, helping individuals um, through services like what Shar offers to the care concierge and the helper bees, allowing them to, you know, make changes, preventing a fall, helping them to age in place in their homes. I think I think that's really important. It's it's a it's a it's a bit of progress, you know, in the long-term care insurance industry that I I, I think is very welcome. Um, you know, there's a, a big conference going on right now, and there's a specific aging in place track and you know that's that's really showcasing that a lot of a lot of folks both payers and providers uh you know partners in the industry like like we are at milliman are really kind of focused on this problem with the benefit of hopefully hopefully kind of a rising tide and helping helping almost all of the stakeholders uh in this situation um <clears throat> you know i want to i want to kind of turn back to some of the comments Shar has said earlier you know, you're reaching people with with more engagement. You know, and, and some folks who are already on claim. We're talking about actually reaching both of those folks very effectively, but also people who might not yet be on claim. You know, Missy Missy mentioned kind of meeting people where they are. They're people who aren't yet uh, eligible for a long term care claim, but still might be able to use some of your your services and and maybe help them age in place. Uh, better, Shar. So, you know, what is kind of the uh, operationally kind of what's what's a, the best way to sort of implement some of those care concierge programs even before people have a, a really acute, you know, long-term care need? Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so our, our initial program was, as I had mentioned, was on claims population, which I think was was a good choice. Those were a little bit easier from defining an ROI perspective. As you and perhaps a lot of the listeners know, that some of the difficulties we've had in launching what our industry, I think, mistakenly calls a wellness program um, is because having to define a return on that investment has been really challenging because of some of the issues that Missy and you had mentioned around data capture and inability to really benchmark anything. So our thought was, hey, we got a bunch of on-claims data. Let's go after the on-claims population, use that as a control study. And so what we've started to do now is to move upstream of in the claims lifecycle to pre-claimants, those who, who might be at risk for, for opening a claim. And I think one of the keys is to think about before deploying any sort of program like that is understanding what the goals are. And ours is, is really a delaying a claim or, de or when you open a claim, reducing the severity of that claim. It's a nuanced point, but if you focus in on that, then the interventions and your analysis and your predictive analytics are all geared towards the same thing, which is we're not solving aging, which is another thing you hear about. What we're trying to do is re remove those preventable conditions that lead to acute care changes prematurely. Uh, and I think so working with carriers to, to launch a program is making sure they understand that you always inevitably have the ROI question, uh, but then working very carefully for months even sometimes beforehand on crafting the population you want to target. 
if I can target pinpoint like a laser, those that are, 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 are most um, able to benefit from our interventions. And I think spending time thinking through your population, crafting a control group, crafting success metrics um, is how you start to implement this. And it's a lot easier than people think. Uh, we hear a lot of hesitation with some carriers because um, I didn't realize this early on in our career, but even getting a referral in, how do I get a referral? Meaning a referral is how do I get, tell you about a policyholder or a claimant that I want you to go do something for them, a nursing assessment, uh, find them a caregiver. That's sort of a big barrier. Uh, but it turns out once you start to craft that control um, control group and experimental group that a lot of times the carriers just sort of figure out how to get you batch referrals. Uh, it's a weird nuanced point, but us on the vendor side, it's something that we really have to think through um, because there's it, even all the innovation and innovative ideas we might have once they run up against some of the hard and fast constraints of the admin platform can be challenging. You bring up a you bring up a great point. You know, getting that engagement and kind of being able to follow through with it is is a really important piece of this equation. I, I totally take your points about you know the idea of uh, we're trying to kind of solve aging or, or you know uh, maybe we we mishandle uh, the terminology and, and call it uh, kind of wellness. Um, I I do want to talk about sort of what makes you know all of us together in the same room pretty important. You know, Missy's talked a lot about the data that we're able to kind of collect to give us a better idea of, you know, the the state of these these policyholders, you know, are they maybe in need of some services that would would help them, you know, delay, you know, needing uh, care in the home or help them uh, postpone a stay, a more acute stay at a nursing facility. But then what can we do with that? You know, we actuaries are, are great with the analysis, the numbers, we're, we're really well uh, suited to advise our clients, but Shar, you're actually kind of the boots on the ground, as it were, sort of making a making a difference in some of the policyholders' lives. And uh, can you then, Shar, like expand on you know once once you have an idea of a handful of people that that really might need your services, how do you impact them? Like how how do you actually kind of affect change in their lives? Maybe a couple of anecdotes uh, from from work that you've seen that that you all have done, or, or a couple of anecdotes that stick out to you. Can you can you walk me through a couple one or two examples? Yeah. For sure, not to get too uh, pithy about it. Some is just opening a conversation. So in general, it's just it's talking to individuals. Having a guide along the aging in place journey is incredibly important. Having done this for twelve years, you know I've got thousands of repetitions under our belt. But every single time you talk to an individual, typically this is the first time that they're starting this process. It's either for a loved one, a spouse, or a family member, and they're lost. A 20-minute conversation is incredibly impactful just to say, avoid these landmines, look at these resources, and have you thought about that? You can, you can actually hear the relaxation on the other end of the line because they feel like they have – they're smart, intelligent individuals, but now you got an expert whittling all the different choices down and say, hey, go and focus on that. So in general, I think that, that's the power of any sort of intervention program is just talking to individuals. Uh, for some anecdotes, you know, depending on what where you are on the spectrum of of aging in places issues, um, if I go all the way towards some more acute, you know, dementia. Dementia is something that our industry is, is fascinated with. The vast majority of claimants have some sort of cognitive impairment. Uh, you can't cure dementia, so you're going to ask, you're going to ask, what sort of intervention is going to assist with that? 
Um, well, we treat dementia as a diagnosis, and I think the industry thinks about things in terms of diagnoses. I think of things on preclinics in terms of triggers. It's what does dementia cause that would cause you to go to institution? So I use this example of um, dementia sometimes will cause somebody to wander or elope. Elopement is wandering is like if they were in a room, somebody with dementia, Alzheimer's or other type would be wandering around the room, walking in circles and would not be able to sit down for any length of time. Elopement is they're going out that door, that window at all hours of the day. Of course, it happens a lot of times at night. Elopement is a major risk, which is why sometimes you see these sober alerts in different states. So dementia isn't going to cause this individual to prematurely go on claim. The elopement risk will, because their primary caregiver is not sleeping at night, has to worry about the individual getting up at any, any hour, all hours of the day, walking down the street and potentially getting hit by a car. So what we tend to do is talk to them about certain uh, monitors of motion sensing devices, even moving the placement of the lock uh, on the door. Uh, and there's, there's ways that you can do that so you don't incur a fire risk. These small little tweaks, which cost very, very little money, by the way, and are not reimbursed by the insurance carrier, can lead to the prevention of uh, premature institutionalization. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, we have things like just education. Um, so we had an individual who... Um, a lot, oftentimes we're talking to their power of attorney, their point of care, their spouse. Um, he had a stroke, uh, and his wife was his primary caregiver. She wasn't strong enough to really transfer him because he was essentially bed bound. He's developing a pressure ulcer. Pressure ulcers can really start to snowball. And so what we ended up doing is just talking to his wife around sheet transfer techniques, which are known in our industry, where you just kind of use a sheet under the individual to shift their body pressure ulcers. You just need a little bit of a tweak. Uh, to, to really help out. And so we were able to deliver educational videos and articles, and that, that had a, a pretty significant effect uh, on his ability to remain at home. I, I, I really love those examples. And those sorts of things kind of bring this full circle to me to help us sort of understand, you know, how how is what we're doing actually kind of like touching not just the, the ones and the zeros uh, of the analyses, but also the atoms, the physical, uh, you know, people whose whose lives, you know, and well-being is at stake here. Um, you know, so inter interject yeah. on that point, Robert, sorry, like, you know, we do a lot of really important things as boots on the ground, as you put it, from from interventions. But you just hit on something that I want to underline: that there's a lot of care management programs out there, and there's a lot of risk models out there. But there are very few. Why this collaboration is so interesting is that we feed each other. So yes, we're doing really cool, great things from a geriatric care management perspective. We're doing it at scale at, at some of the most ambitious projects ever launched. The key, though, is behind the scenes. It's all based on structured data. We're going to be able to create profiles to be predictive analytics, and we're going to feed the Laura model. And I think that's what's really powerful. That's exactly right, is that, you know, we each have our kind of separate processes and relatively successful and understanding and learning from them. But when, you know, we are able to kind of learn from you, and as you said, we get data feeds in a, in a structured manner, and we're able to incorporate, you know, some of these results. And that's exactly, you know, why, Char, we started talking, I mean, it's almost years ago now, uh, on, on this very idea and how we can kind of blend the data we get from you and the intelligence that uh, that we bring to the table. There's one other thing about um, some of the work that we're doing that I'd like to, to raise before uh, maybe asking for some kind of closing statements from, from Missy and Char. Um, the idea here is, 
you know, a couple of a couple of fold. We're looking at uh, a new set of uh, industry data. It's really important. We have a, a duty to kind of uh, be ethical about the use of that data. Um, you know, we need to uh, ensure that as we're going about uh, creating our models and making you know recommendations, that uh, unanticipated uh, bias or, or proxy discrimination is is really mitigated, and and we're addressing that. Early on, I think that's it's really important for us to to think about that through the entire process. Robert, you were also saying this, like testing and learning. I mean, I think that is incredibly important when long-term peer insurers are thinking through initiatives like this. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We've got a great idea, and there's been a lot of thought that has gone into it, but it's a very exciting sort of new world. Um, and the last thing I wanted to leave with is we're talking a lot about long-term care insurance, but um, the way I view it, aging in place is becoming, just like you mentioned at the outset, is going to become a national issue. Long-term care insurance plays a very interesting role because I believe the running point on it when it comes to innovation and interventions. Programs like this are very, very unique. And I think the rest of the U.S. is going to look at what we're doing from a data and an interventions perspective as to what the right answer is. So you're talking about Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, long-term support services, and then maybe eventually when Medicare proper starts providing services. So I think we are at the start of an explosion of innovation, and I think data is going to lead that um, charge. I, I couldn't agree more. I am really excited about the future. Uh, I was I was saying earlier today for the first time in you know five ten years in the long term care insurance long term care insurance industry. I, I feel like there's really there's really some buzz. There's really something to to look forward to. Uh, so with that, we'll we'll wrap this up. Shar and Missy, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Critical Point presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of this podcast, uh, visit us at milliman.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.